Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Hello and welcome to Out with Susie Ruffle, with me, Susie Ruffle, of course. Who else is it going to be? Hello. I hope that you're having a good week. Um, my week has been all right. Um, do you know what? I planted 50 tulips and 50 daffodils for the old balcony. Um, I planted them just before Christmas and I wondered whether that was too late, but do you know what? I thought I'm going to go for it because it took them ages to be delivered. And now I have sprouting 120 things. Now, what's happened there? Can they have twins? Is that what's happening? Either way, I've got lots of little shoots coming up on the balcony, guys. And my dream is to one day have a garden. But it's going very well, considering it's just a, a relatively small balcony. Um, I know that's not what you're here for. But as the weeks go on, I am going to keep you up to date with the tulip and the daffodil situation on the old balcony. Um, as ever, thank you to so many of you that got in touch over the past week and tweeted about the show. I loved Johannes. I loved last week's episode. I know that loads and loads of you did too. Uh, yes, I would love to do Strictly. Lots of people have messaged that as well. Although I think I could be, I'd probably be too excited. I might explode or something. So maybe it wouldn't be good for me. But um, it was such a delight to chat to Johannes. And um, yeah, I fell in love with him, which I think was pretty obvious for anyone that listened. As ever, we received loads and loads of emails. Um, thank you to all of you that get in touch. The email is hello at com. We get a lot more emails from women and non-binary folk than we do from, from gay men. Uh, gay men, feel free to reach out. We want to include you. Uh, maybe you've been thinking about writing. And, and I mean, if you're, over, if you're a lady or a, a trans person or a non-binary person, you want to write too. I want to hear from all of you. So do get in touch. Um, I do care. And of course, asexual people. I'm going to share uh, an email from an asexual friend, uh, a friend across the internet shortly. But uh, thanks to all of you that got in touch. I'm always delighted to hear from you. And yeah, you all brighten my week. So I'm, I'm very grateful for that. Okay, as ever, let's start with some emails from our brilliant listeners. Dear Susie, I'm in love with your podcast. Since I found it less than a month ago. <gasps> You're a new friend. Hello, welcome. I've listened to all of it and recommended it to anyone that will listen to me. However, if you could put warnings in the episode descriptions for content mentions of things like eating disorders, self-harm and suicide, etc., that would be incredibly helpful. You are absolutely right. I'm sorry I didn't do that already. I should have thought to, but I, uh, I didn't. Sometimes I record the interviews and then it's maybe like a month later that I listen back to it. And I guess because I've already heard it once, the, the more shocking things or the more harmful things or the things that could be harmful to people don't really register to me because I've already heard it once and I'm listening back to it. Um, so I'm sorry that I haven't done that. You're absolutely right. And I will try and do that whenever that comes up. And thank you for highlighting it to me. Always love to learn. Thank you. Right, back to the email. Though it's taken me a while, I'm an out and proud 19-year-old gay woman and I couldn't be happier. I especially love your podcast because it has introduced me to so many other inspiring LGBTQIA plus people. 
I never had any gay female representation in my life growing up. There was very little representation in the media and most of it was for white gay men. This and homophobic bullying at primary school meant that I struggled a lot with my sexuality when I was younger. I would dream of girls at night and then wake up and hate myself for doing so, as normal girls don't do that. I tried to ignore this in school, but I couldn't, so instead I privately identified as bisexual until last year. I'm not being biphobic and invalidating other people's experiences and sexuality by saying that bisexuality is a step to homosexuality. I truly believe that I was attracted to boys at that point in time, but I realised a few months ago that I only wanted their attention rather than being physically attracted to them. I came out to my friends at uni by kissing a girl in the middle of a club, and they couldn't have been more supportive. We had a very interesting conversation about girls and sexuality whilst walking home eating cheesy chips. I then came out to my mother this New Year's Eve. We haven't spoken since, as I quickly ran away back to uni, but she didn't seem to take it badly initially, so I'm counting that as a win. I'm half living for and half dreading the summer holidays, as hopefully this will be the first summer that I can go clubbing in Soho, but at the same time I don't really want to come out to my dad, as he's made many off-handed homophobic jokes in the past. However, it feels good to be out to most of the people in my life. It's a huge weight off my shoulders, and I don't feel like I'm lying all the time. Finding your work and now all these other queer people you've interviewed have shown me there's so many people working hard to make this society more accepting and that it's possible to achieve so much even with significant discrimination. Thank you for providing a platform where LGBTQIA plus people, well known or not, get to share their stories. I hope you and your partner and the cat are doing well in this current lockdown. If you do want to read this out, by all means use my name, Izzy. Thank you so much. Thank you for allowing me to have a little learning moment. You're absolutely right. And, uh, and thank you for sharing your story with me. I hope that we get to go clubbing in Soho this year. Oh man, I really hope I get to go to a gay bar and have a drink with some mates. That would be dreamy. Um, I wouldn't even mind it if one, it's one of those ones with the really sticky floor and the music that's too loud. Because I'm 35 now, music is too loud for me. But yeah, I'd love to go and have a boogie somewhere. I think Izzy made a really good point and it's something actually I've been I've been wanting to share. I think quite often on the podcast, often with gay women have spoken about coming out as bisexual as sort of a stepping stone to being gay. And I received an email from a listener a little while ago saying that she really hated this. She really hated this and felt that it really invalidated her bisexual experience. And I want to just say if anyone else has ever felt that, that's the only negative email we've ever got on the podcast. So I was, I mean... As ever, you know, I want to make it as brilliant as possible and I want to make it as inclusive as possible. So, you know, I've got to take the criticism as well as the praise. But um, if anyone else has felt like that, I'm sorry. I think that the difficult thing is, with doing a podcast like this is that at any one time I'm only sharing one person's story and them sharing their truth. If that is their truth, although it might not be ideal to everybody that's listening, that is still their story. But what I will tell you is we do have some more bisexual folk coming up on the podcast over this series where that is not their experience. And they are bisexual people and that um, they didn't use that word as a stepping stone to coming out as gay. Uh I don't know if that made sense. I hope it does. I, I just really want this podcast to feel completely inclusive. So um, hopefully it will. Okay, let's move on. Hello, lovely Susie. Hello. Thank you so much for your wonderful podcast. I decided to email when I heard you talk about asexuality a few weeks ago. It was an email sent by someone who didn't want to be referred as the plus in LGBTQI+. 
and as an asexual female, I realised this was the first time I had ever heard asexuality discussed in the media. This is so shocking, isn't it? Asexual people are so marginalised, and when you Google support for gay men, women or transgender people, there is a recognised support network all over the country. There has been so much progress in acceptance of people who are not heterosexual, which is becoming more normalised in society, and this is so wonderful. Gay bars, pride festivals, gay marriage, gay people on television, dramas, and the challenges faced by the gay community are all accessible to the wider population. If you Google support for asexual people, there seems to be a void. I do not know anybody else that is asexual. We hear about the importance of finding your people and finding your tribe, but that is a big bloody challenge in asexuality. When I listen to your podcast, as much as I enjoy listening to the experiences of your guest, I cannot relate in a personal level as the goal of many LGBTQ people is the same as heterosexual people, which is to have a relationship and to find the one. So many times when you interview people, there's a common theme. When gay people come out, their families fear that because they're gay, they'll be alone for life, implying that this is lonely and a sad existence. There tends to be a response which is along the lines of, but that didn't happen, I met my partner and now we're married. Phew. This can seem offensive to an asexual person who cannot be in a long-term relationship and cannot marry if they are true to their asexuality. Society values relationships and marriage, and this hasn't really changed. It's embraced gay relationships, but is still viewed as a failure or strange if you make the choice to remain single. I've never fancied anyone, never. I'm 50. I used to feel uncomfortable when friends and colleagues talked about who they fancied, so I would choose a couple of famous actors who were good-looking and try to change the subject quickly. I get asked why I'm still single frequently by both gay and straight people. A response to my saying it is my choice to be single, they often vow to help me with speed dating, internet dating, blind dates, etc. They seem to struggle to accept that being single can be a choice and say that obviously I've been unlucky but to stick with it and that I'll find the one. They don't realise that's like me saying you're only gay because you haven't met the right woman or man. I'm often pitied for being alone, which is so offensive. I'm not comfortable or happy in relationships. I've tried to be, I've dated men and women, trying to convince myself that this is what I should be doing, but inevitably it ends when I cannot keep up the pretense. I've enjoyed sex when I've had it, but I don't feel ever sexually frustrated and can go for years without sex with no bother at all. I feel whole when I'm single. I don't feel lonely, it doesn't feel like I'm missing out, as the thought of waking up with the same person is repellent to me, honestly. But being asexual is hard. Where do we fit? Where do we belong? We're not heterosexual, but we're not gay. I go to Pride, but I do not feel connected to this community because it focuses on the freedom to have relationships with anyone you want. Asexual people do not want a relationship. I have a full life full of friends, family and a successful career. I'm happy and I feel fulfilled, but I'm still judged for being single, as if my life choices are not enough. I struggled with understanding my asexuality in my 20s and 30s, so I understand why others don't understand it. This is no judgement for not understanding asexuality, but a frustration that is viewed so differently or forgotten altogether. So I want to thank you for being the first person I've ever heard talk about asexuality in the media. This is definitely progress. I hope this helps and feel free to share this if you want. Thank you so much for sharing your story. I think it's so important. Um, you're absolutely right. So much of society is geared for queer people, trans people, straight people, to that the aim is to end up with someone, to have the happily ever after, and for that to be sort of two people together. And you're absolutely right. Some people's happily ever after is being 
single and there's nothing wrong with that and so I'm so pleased that you wrote in thank you so much for sharing your story and for um, allowing me to understand it a little bit more you might be interested to know I have got an asexual guest coming up in this series I I tried to make it happen last series but but I couldn't but I have managed to make it work this series so hopefully you'll feel even more represented and hopefully you'll really enjoy that episode and it'll be an episode where you can think ah someone like me um which is what I hope to do But yeah, thank you so much for getting in touch. And I'm really pleased that hearing us talk about asexuality on the podcast um, is such a positive thing for you. I also love that you called the podcast media. I mean, how exciting. Guys, this is media. It's not just me and my little cupboard anymore. Um, But in all seriousness, thank you for sharing. Okay, let's move on to today's episode. Before we begin... I've, got, I've still got Izzy in my head. I want to do a content warning of what happens in this podcast. We talk about suicide. We talk about um, severe mental health um, issues. And um, if you don't feel like you can listen to that today, maybe you can't listen to that ever. That's okay. Find another podcast for today. But if you can, I hope that you enjoy this episode. It's with the brilliant Bethany Black, who I've known for years. I think she's absolutely brilliant. I think this episode is really special. I hope that you enjoy it. Bethany Black is a British stand-up comedian. She is engaging, frank, and effortlessly funny. She has been performing stand-up since 2002, playing clubs, venues, and theatres across the country, as well as a number of successful solo shows at the Edinburgh Fringe. In 2020, she won the Joe Comedy Award. She was also brilliant in Russell T Davies' Banana, Tofu, and Cucumber, where she was the first trans actress to play a leading role. Or you might have seen her playing 474 in Doctor Who. We have performed together loads over the years, and I've all always thoroughly enjoyed her stand-up and enjoyed having a natter in the green room as well. What a joy it is to have her join me on the show today. Welcome, Beth. Hello. How are you doing, Susie? You all right? I'm good, mate. How are you? Yeah, really, really well. I love that, by the way. When you go through... It's, it's that interesting thing when people go through, like, the things that I've done. Because um, I've got that shittest level of celebrity. You know, that, like, bottom... Very, very bottom rung. In that, like, about one, once a month, somebody will recognise you. They go, oh, what do I know you from? And I go, oh, um, I do stand up. And they go, no, I've never, I d- no, no, that's not really my sort of thing. Um, and he said, I said, oh, well, I was, I was, I, I acted. I was in a TV show called uh, Banana and Cucumber for Channel Four. No, I never saw those. Um, oh, I was in Doctor Who, but most people don't recognise me from that because I had like a full face tattoo. No, I don't watch Doctor Who. Right, okay. I was in. Uh, I played a series baddie in uh, No Offence. No, no, I don't watch that either. Oh, I was, I, I, I did an episode of The Chase. I was quite good. A lot of people recognise me from that. They go. Oh, no, no, no. No, you know, you've just got one of those faces and it's that. (laughs) Like, they make me list off my CV and I'm like, oh, right, okay, fine, whatever. Um. Do you get, do you get, was there like a real thing with, I mean, we'll get into you a bit more in a minute, but with Doctor Who, was that mental for a bit? Yeah, it was, yeah. Yeah, it was. Because people love Doctor Who. Like, a hundred million viewers worldwide regularly. Uh, That's insane. Yeah, it is. And because I was the first, you know, out trans actor in, in any role in that show, and this is the thing, it was really naive because I know um I know Andy, who's the casting director, and we chatted quite a lot beforehand, and he messaged me on the day that it was announced that I was it. Because but basically I wasn't allowed to tell anyone that I'd auditioned for it. I wasn't allowed to tell anyone that I got the role. All of my friends knew that I was going away to do some acting, and I kind of lied to different ones to see if there was any leaks. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> It's that thing of like, I kind of made out like I was doing Game of Thrones to one little group of friends and I kind of made out I was probably going somewhere to the US to do some Marvel stuff for someone else. Because it was like, it was something that was big enough that I was going to have to hide it. So I had to try and figure out 
like what were the big things that it could possibly be and just sort of like hinted to each of them didn't hint to any of them that it was going to be doctor who at all um and then like had to disappear off and it was two weeks after we'd started filming that they went and announced that i was in it so like i was having to dash between manchester and cardiff and just not let anybody know where i was like anywhere at all because it's like you signed so many ndas i was gonna say there must be ndas yeah and like part of the media guide for it told you that you had to change your password on your email every week from the second that you'd been um cast until it had been announced uh, until the show had been on because people will try and uh, hack into your email to get hold of scripts and stuff like that (gasps) Um, so, oh my, that is mad. Yeah, so it's like, it's ridiculous. And when I went to do it, because I had this like full face tattoo uh, for the character, uh, they, I wasn't allowed to go and sit in the canteen with everyone else who was on it because that counted as a spoiler. And the canteen we'd be sharing with all the people who were extras in Holby City and Casualty because it's filmed in, like, in the studio next door. Um, so yes, yeah, so it's like there's all this secrecy and security around it. And it's really really difficult to try and keep that secret and then on the day that they went and announced they, they like announced the who's going to be in it like on a wednesday afternoon that's when they go and send the press release out um and i'd finished filming for the week and was driving back to manchester and i got in the car and i think we just got out of out of cardiff when my phone started buzzing and then just didn't stop like it was just like constantly all the way back up till we got home where people just oh my god um and like for 24 hours after that there was like um, there was like over 200 articles in entertainment stuff and news uh, newspapers about me being in this show. And like I was, my, the story of me being in that was the top story on the front page of Variety. And underneath it was a story about something that Lady Gaga had just done that was huge. was <laughs> 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 going, what is going on? That was um, a weird 24 hours. Yeah. And then when I went back to Cardiff to film some stuff, I had to go from the hotel to the um, to the St. David's Centre. And it was like my one brush with like being properly famous because it was just like people were just mobbing me on the way there because there's loads of Doctor Who fans who live in, in and around Cardiff. Of course. Cardiff. And I bet loads that just sort of, that don't even live there, would just go and hang there. Yeah, absolutely. When things are being filmed, right? Like yeah. people are, people love it. Yeah, they really, really do. They really, really do. And you have to be like so secretive. And it was, yeah, and it was like that for about two or three weeks. And I was like, oh, this is it. Like off the back of it, I went into Cineworld and the person who was working behind the counter went, oh, I can give you a free year's worth of the Cineworld pass <laughs> on account of you being famous. And I was like, yes get in oh this is brilliant yes please thank you very much um it was just like all of this stuff and it was like oh my god this is this is amazing and then yeah and then it just sort of like fades away a little bit and then the show was on and the thing was because of like because my character was like a clone space marine so i'm in like full military get up with like a hat and a full face tattoo and so no one recognizes me from it at all like genuinely not at all like i've never had anyone come up to me and go were you, were you in doctor who so let's um i want to talk about all your career and all of your stuff but let's talk about sort of you to begin with sort of where you're from and what your i guess background is so you, did you grow up in manchester I grew up in lancashire which lancashire, is where i'm right. back now I, I, I moved out of the city about uh, 18 months ago uh, it's really good that i like my house <laughs> yeah, well, we were just saying before we started recording yeah. that lockdowns actually been great for you yeah it has yeah well because i got diagnosed with agoraphobia about three years ago um Mm -hmm. and i've been really struggling with all sorts of stuff around that and 
Yeah, like my opening line for like the year before lockdown happened was about how, you know, comedians say it's nice to be here, but that's usually a lie. We don't like it. Um, For me personally, I've got agoraphobia. I'd much rather be doing this at home via Skype. And like for the last year, I've been doing gigs on Zoom um, and it's been perfect. It's like, it's great. All of that extra stress that I have when I have to leave the house and go off to various different places is just completely gone. So I have so much more time to do the things I wanted to do. And it's really, really suited me. It's really worked well. Is ag- Can I ask a question? I don't know yeah. if this is stupid, but yeah. is agoraphobia something you've... Is Are you, like, born someone that has a bit of agoraphobia <laughs> or is it something that develops because of something? I suppose it's different for everyone. Well, I think it's... A chunk of it is because I'm autistic, right? I'm autistic, mm-hmm. I'm, uh, I have ADHD, and a chunk of the agoraphobia comes from the fact of being autistic and not necessarily always being able to read people's intentions. Right, OK. So being out in places where there are people becomes quite scary because uh, and then on top of that I've got PTSD because I was attacked quite a lot as a teenager and I had a really difficult time growing up and yeah and so as a result of that that sort of combination of not really being able to judge people's intentions plus being autistic plus being trans uh, just goes and means that leaving the house goes and puts me into that really hyper vigilant state it's like that thing of Mm. you know when people are in war zones um, it's like complete boredom occasionally punctuated by like absolute terror and that's kind of what it feels like going out it's that thing of always having to be on the lookout just in case a situation's gonna suddenly turn and have you felt like that for a really long time yeah that must be exhausting beth it is it's it is it's exhausting it's tiring um Mm. it's got worse over sort of like the last eight years or so partly because of and i realized like I realised a couple of years ago that it was partly because of sort of having, not it, not even having any real level of public profile, but having a public life and being in that situation. It just goes and attracts arseholes, really. <laughs> you know, the way the world is at the moment, especially in the UK right now, um, especially in regards to trans people and the way that a lot of a lot of the media has kind of inflated this straw man idea of what trans people are, has just meant that it went from, like feeling like there was real progress and there has been lots of progress there's loads and loads of progress that's been made over the last like 15 years i'm really proud to have been able to be part of that Um, because i've you know i've always like said that if you belong to any sort of marginalized group the further away you are from sort of like the default you kind of feel like you i I know i personally do have a feel like i have a responsibility for everyone else who has to follow to try and make the path easier for them but in doing so there's the thing that a lot of people get caught up on, which is as they get older, they don't realise that they've helped to change the world and now the world has changed and is going to continue changing and the things that they changed it to, they're going to get called old-fashioned. Their opinions are going to become old-fashioned eventually. Um, so it's like this progress. Someone put it really, really well a couple of weeks ago. It's like it's like a tree that you never get to sit in the shade of, you know, and recognising that the things that I fought for and tried really hard to sort of like improve the world for anyone else who's had to, you know, for anyone else who's had to go through the things that I've had to go through. They've taken a toll on me mm-hmm. and younger people as they come through are more able to get support and be able to see each other and be able to have some of the things that I fought for without having to go through the shit. And it's and it's easy to become bitter about that. 
but I yeah. try not to because I, I don't know whether you like I know, I realize when I because I'm I'm gay as well I'm tra- uh, trans and I'm a lesbian which some people think doesn't exist but it does and when I came out and I was because there was never any issue about that because I was always quite open about being trans and like I was like a regular at a local lesbian bar in Manchester for years and years and years and never got any like there was a like one or two people who ever had any issue with me but most people were just like yeah okay yeah fine cool whatever and but being in that environment and seeing that you would occasionally see those people like like on the gay scene you would see the people who were sort of like 10 years older than you who just seemed to be really fucking furious that you were able to be out and enjoying yourselves and having fun and doing all of the things that they fought for you to be able to do because they couldn't do it then and i think that's the thing that like if you're trying to make the world better for other people within your group you really need to be aware of that because otherwise you can end up in that situation where you go, none of these kids know what they're doing. You reach 45 and you're suddenly like, the world's changed. Suddenly I'm no longer the one who's making culture. Suddenly I'm old fashioned. I didn't, I haven't changed at all. Why am I suddenly old fashioned? So talking about sort of come, like I know that you've come out twice. Oh, and... more than that. <laughs> really? Yeah, okay. yeah, so, yeah. So first of all, what were you like because you only got your autism diagnosis relatively recently. Yeah, it was yeah, it was about three years ago. I got it. Yeah, right. yeah. So, as a child, were you sort of dealing with all of this extra stuff without having a name for it, without having? Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. I didn't realize I I didn't realize that I didn't realize what people were thinking and doing. Do you know what I mean? It's like I right, okay. I just couldn't figure out why it was I didn't fit in. I couldn't figure out why it was everyone else seemed to be able to be popular and be able to talk about stuff and be able to keep conversations going and make friends and do stuff like that. And I really struggled with a lot of that. But I knew that I could be funny um, and I much preferred it when I was in control of the laugh than people laughing at me. Yeah. So learning how to do that, that's kind of like the basis of where becoming a comedian came from. But also the first time I sort of realised I was trans, I must have been about four years old. Really? And it was, yeah, and it was because there was an episode of The Love Boat and one of the characters in that, Gopher, met someone from college who had uh, transitioned. And that was like the big thing in the, in the story. And that was like the first time that in my head, I was like, oh my God, that is a thing that happens. And that kind of relates to who I am. And it was then, but from then, all of the stuff that I saw in culture and in media and everywhere just said, you never let anyone know about this. Because if you do, then you have to leave all of your family, lose everyone you love and go and start again somewhere else. And you need to make sure that no one ever finds out. Otherwise they'll make your life hell, right? So I tried to cope with that for the next, what, 16 years? Um, mm-hmm. until eventually I just like had a complete breakdown I had like yeah I was um, <laughs> I ended up like I thought I was trying to convince my doctor that I had depression right I thought I was pulling a fast one um, by but you knew all along well I didn't yeah I knew that I was trans but I I'd, like and I'd, I'd ended up in this situation where just everything in my life had fallen apart so badly and I was in such a state of depression um, and I went to the doctor to try and get some help for that but by that point, I'd because you, your brain sort of tells you when all of this is going. Like I tried so hard not to be trans. Like tried so fucking hard. Like everything that I had, it like just going. Oh, I wish I was just gay. Because in my teen years, I always thought I was bi, 
Um, and I was kind of out and by at 12 years old at school, right, in the early 90s in rural Lancashire. So, you know, you know, whatever trolls want to say to me online, <laughs> which... You can take it. You've heard worse. Yeah, it's like on Twitch, I get them coming on. And it's like, do you know what? If you're going to come and troll me, at least make sure it's not just like an accurate physical description. Do you know what? Being a fat lesbian has managed to go and reduce about 90% of all the things that people shout at me that they're trying to be insulting to just an accurate description. Yeah, I've had that when people are just like, guy, and you're like, is this say what you say? Yeah. Like, yes, and I also want to look gay. I've chosen, I I chose my shirt. Yeah, absolutely. I chose my suit. I saw this before I put it on. I've looked at myself in the mirror. I've got a mirror. Yeah, Yeah. Yeah. I have seen me. I have met me. I spend a lot of time with me. (laughs) I realised that about as quickly as you fucking did. Um, Yeah, and so having that, um, and partly that was also because I drank quite a lot from a young age, because the first time I got, like, I had a drink at a family party when I was about 12, and suddenly I was like, yeah, this is... This stops all of that horrible negative self-talk for a bit. This this numbs it. Yeah, and so I really got into drinking uh, <laughs> for a long time. And also, when I drank, I couldn't keep my mouth shut, so I would always end up, like, sharing secrets and stuff like that. So that sort of... I sort of came out uh, as bi at school. And so I put up with a lot of stuff through that, and, you know, I was bullied really, really badly at school. Um, and when I left, um, I would, like, still regularly sort of get beaten up on nights out and stuff like that um and yeah so i came out yeah i came out as bi to my parents for the first time uh and then i came out as trans and my mum reacted so badly that i just went oh no no i was drunk i didn't mean it yeah and then later i came out as as trans again when i'd re- when i'd reached sort of like a rock bottom point in my life that i'd been in a relationship for a number of years and it had broken down and that was kind of the thing that was me attempting to be what I thought society needed me to be. Um, and I couldn't cope with that. And I was just, I was horrible. I was in, I was in so much like emotional and pain uh, and psychological pain. And it, I, it just completely broke me. Um, and when I went, and at, at like to the point that I was um, attempting suicide at least twice a week badly and failing badly and and I went to my doctor and at, at this point I thought that like because uh, I'd talked myself into this into this situation where all of the things that the people who seem to think that trans people are making it up and faking it and you know and all of the they call themselves like they call themselves gender critical they're not the gender deniers is what they are you know like <laughs> It's what they are. You know, that. Uh, what's that guy called? Uh, David Duke, the former Grand Wizard of the Ku Klux Klan. You know, he's not like a race sceptic, is he? They try to sit and they go, oh, well, you know, have you ever considered that maybe you're just gay? And it's like, yes, yes. I fucking hoped. I'd, like, I was hoping when I was growing up that that was the case. I desperately tried to fit myself into so many other things. I desperately tried to, like, hide this innate part of who I was to the point that I had reached the point where... I recognised that the choice was either to lose everyone that I cared about or to end it all. And I thought if I ended it all, then at least I wouldn't have disappointed them in this. Um, At least it would have given them closure. And that was sort of the point that I'd managed to talk myself into because I didn't really have any support around this. And then when I went to see my doctor to talk about this, at this point, I thought that... all of this stuff that I was doing. Oh, I was a liar. I was trying to do all of this just to try and make myself seem cool or important or different or whatever. And it's that negative voice in my head telling me that all of this stuff that I'm coming out with is absolutely wrong and absolutely lies and and 
just tr essentially my brain trying to gaslight myself because of all of the other shit that had been going on around in the world. Mm -hmm. And and at this point, thinking that I was about, when I went to go and tell my doctor that I was depressed, that I wasn't, thinking that I wasn't depressed, thinking that these actions were the actions of somebody who wasn't depressed. And when I told her, like, I, I realised from a point of <laughs> distance that even me, like, telling her some of the stuff that I told her, kind like I, which I thought was like making it look toned down or you know quite mild at the time um, was still enough for them to go and send a social worker and a psychiatrist around to my house which I realized when they got there was because if this went wrong I would end up being sectioned and so that was kind of my that was kind of the point where I was like right okay well my two choices are tell them or get sectioned and possibly never leave the psychiatric unit right okay so I told them and kind of expected them to tell me that, you know, oh, you're lying, oh, what you're saying is, you know, oh, you're mad, or whatever. Sorry, and when you're saying telling them, you mean the social worker and the... And the psychiatrist, yeah, yeah. And the psychiatrist that came around, yeah, sorry. Yeah, so I came out to them, told them that I was trans, and their reaction was like, oh, right, oh, right, okay, yeah, yeah, cool, well, we can we can, we can can deal with that. Yeah, that's fine. Uh, I was like, oh, my God, because uh, it turned out that I lived, like, right within the catchment area of Charing Cross Hospital, which has, like, a famous gender identity clinic. And so as a local patient, I would have been seen. Like, I, they had to see me within eight weeks. How was that relief? Yeah, saying it and and their reaction to it. Yeah. It was like, it was like suddenly getting out of water when you can't breathe. It was like I was almost about to drown and suddenly I could take a deep breath for the first time. Yeah, and, and, and after that, I came out to various people and I had all the... you have all, I, I don't know whether you were the same, but I had, I had all the worst-case scenarios in my head and then none of them panned out and then <laughs> I was kind of pissed off. <laughs> I was kind of pissed off because I was like, oh, I could have done with a good argument. I had a couple of them ready to go. <laughs> yeah, and just after that, life got better. Um, mm. Just so much better. And just from that perspective... Um, you know, there was other things that I had to deal with and there's other things that I have had to deal with and, and ever since then, sort of, my life has been trying to gain self-knowledge and trying to figure out a way to better myself, trying to figure out a way to become a better version of who I am and figure out what it is that I struggle with and how to find a workaround for that. And I feel like I'm sort of... I, I, I've recognised the thing is that almost always, I always think, oh, yeah, I'm, I'm doing really well. I've never been better than I am right now. Not like I was six months ago. I was fucking insane. And then six months later, I'll look back and go, oh, God, yeah, no, I'm doing really well now. Not like I was then. Jesus, why did I think I was so sane then? God. But, <laughs> you know, we're works in progress, I think. And Absolutely. And I think that's, like, the only way I can really, like, look at it and, and think about it. And so, you know, and I'm saying this well aware that obviously trans people have existed for a very, very, very long time. But yeah. when you, I'm just trying to think, if, if it was, when was it around, like the year 2000? Yeah, it was, just, it was 1999 when I sort of came out. Because I know that at the, at the moment, certainly, and in, and in recent years, people have really found like a sense of community online. Yeah. And have really been able to reach out to people in that respect and find their people and find people that were experiencing a similar thing to them. Did you have that? Because... The internet would have been quite yeah no it was yeah it was young and it wasn't it was nowhere near as well developed as it was now there was a couple of like Yahoo groups um, that I was that I was in and um, it was only, like chat groups yeah 
Yeah. Yeah, right, okay. Um, and it was only really when Twitter came along that trans people were suddenly able to go, oh, I'm trans, oh, you're trans, oh, wow, oh, wow, oh, great, oh, there's fucking loads of us, oh, right, okay. And you don't have to go and sort of, like, search out different groups or whatever. Like, my parents went and tried to find, like, a support group for me. And because they, re- they were really lovely and supportive, them and my sister and one of my aunties came along to this support group with oh, me. That's... Um, and I was just like really embarrassed, like, oh God, I don't want you here. I don't want to be part of this. Oh Jesus, what's going on? You know, cause I'm like at the end of my teenage years, like early, tw- like I'm 20 at the time, you know. And were you a goth then as well? Yeah, yeah. So that was your, you had to bring that energy anyway. Yeah, right? yeah, absolutely. Yeah, always, <laughs> always. Um, but yeah, there was, there, we had these like little groups that were, um, yeah, there's just like little, and little messenger boards that were up and that were about in various different places. But yeah, there wasn't really that connection. Yeah, and at the time, I was always like the youngest in any of these things. At 20, mm. people were like, what the hell are you doing coming out at 20? What the hell are you doing transitioning at 20? Because the average age at that point for somebody to transition was like in their 50s or 60s. Because it was often people who'd gone through, I've done everything that's expected of me, and now that I'm retired, I'm going to actually transition and live as I should have done in the first place. I didn't know that. Yeah, and and when I first came out, the other thing that I got told a lot, both within the community and from people outside the trans community, was, oh, you pass, you know, you you don't get read as trans at all. What you should do is live as stealth. What you should do is go and, like, cut all ties with your past and find somewhere new to start and don't ever tell anyone. And that was kind of, like, accepted as, like the best advice to give to people like i remember like even even in sort of like 2010 meeting old school trans people who'd come out in the 80s and 90s who kept when i was out and talking about being trans and being in the media about it going don't tell people don't don't tell people because that is then all they will ever think of you don't tell them that and is is that in a way do you think they were trying to protect you oh absolutely yeah yeah Yeah. they honestly thought it was protecting me yeah i was like one of the two youngest people who were was was in like quite a lot of these groups there was someone else who was Mm -hmm. about my age and i was just like all right okay cool um and now when i talk to young trans people they'll go oh 20 god why did you leave it so late like if you knew so young why did you leave it so long and i'm like well the world has changed yeah (laughs) i'm old-fashioned that way um, my views and opinions have been formed by the world that I grew up in and they're probably not going to align with yours all the time but I'm not going to disparage them I'm just going to know when to shut up <laughs> so were you and people that listen to the podcast would have heard me say this a hundred times but I remember thinking I think I might be the only woman that fancies women yeah. like I thought that I could have been the only one and this is yeah. only in like the early 2000s Yeah. but was there a moment where you Oh, of course, because you saw the thing on Love Boat, so you yeah. knew... so I knew that there was at least one. Were you thinking, like, I guess there's ten of us? Max? Yeah, 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 that was, yeah, that was absolutely it. That was right. absolutely it. I remember um, seeing an interview on BBC Two with Caroline Cosey, who was a model and had been in a James Bond movie, and she was trans, and the news of the world had found out and published a whole bunch of stuff and just essentially just, like, utterly ruined her life and her career. And seeing her talking about about being trans and I was like right okay so there's there's her and there's me and then looking in books to try and find out if there was any more and then discovering the Rocky Horror Picture Show and going right okay so and then the word transsexual was suddenly in my vocabulary and then trying to find any reference in any books and then suddenly we had in sort of like the early 2000 the early 90s suddenly they would have like the trans story would be the story that you would get in things like This Morning and then like Trisha and the Jerry Springer show and Ricky Lake and that was suddenly where 
I where you where I started to realize that others, but it was always treated as such an oddity such a strange as such a weird circus freak type thing yeah i was about to say so much of that must have been negative yeah it was really a lacking compassion and understanding yeah it always was it always was and it was almost always uh cis people talking about trans people um and about trans people in relation to what our existence meant to cisgender people rather than yeah totally we were always talked about in relation to and it was it was that sort of thing so there was loads and loads of negative stuff around that yeah and then whenever it was whenever i saw anything like that in the news and i would always like go and search it out and seek it out because it was like this was it was like a release even being able to see negative representation it was the only representation there was but it was still it was like a release from this secret that i had in my head this secret internal world that i had to live in for such a long time you know even when it was like the front page of the daily mirror about a vicar who had decided to transition and that you know they decided that that was front page news in mm. like in the mid 90s and reading that and reading every word of it and going right okay and and trying to you know just to it was like a release just having that connection to a larger world where i might exist but still had to really try and keep that buried inside me um so yes there was there was a real feeling of like if there are any there's probably like what i don't know but when i came out that was the thing when i came out and was trying to find statistics on it they said oh there might be as many as two thousand trans people in the uk (laughs) i'm like all right okay and now i've got over two thousand uk based trans followers on twitter so uh, i've got them all I've got them all, like Pokemon. That's that's exactly what I was about to say. (laughs) Comedic sprains, working together. (laughs) Yeah, just just a jigglypuff to get, and then you got all of them. (laughs) Um, So, so I've been doing stand up for about twelve years. So you're 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 you've been going quite a bit longer than me. But you were out on stage immediately. Did you start stand up not long after you transitioned? Yeah, I was in the middle of transitioning when I started doing stand-up. So That might be one of the bravest things I've ever heard. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, and I, like, I did... Um, yeah, and I, I didn't really talk about it at first. Um, I kind of like held off from it. And then I had a really bad experience about coming out as trans within the comedy world and like got some really horrible comments from some people some of whom have completely changed their position on on things relating to that and have grown as people so i'm not going to say i'm not going to name names oh well that's Uh, good that's positive people can change people can grow they can they can and you know it's it's yeah and it's not always about you know shouting the loudest or or doing stuff it's sometimes it's just about living your authentic life and people get to see that that's totally that's what changes people's opinions so can I ask, okay, so you've me- you yeah. mentioned that you liked being funny at school and you knew that was yeah. a way of like maybe deflecting or a way of t- having control yeah. over something. Was that part of the reason that as you were transitioning that you s- started stand-up because it was on your, people were looking at you on your terms? Unconsciously, yes. Right. Consciously, not at all. It's the kind of thing where looking back you go, oh yeah, okay. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. At the time, it was like I'd grown up being such a big fan of like all of the alternative comedy and stuff that was coming out. Because I was um, like, I was born in 78. So like my first sort of memories are things like French and Saunders, uh, The Young Ones, mm-hmm. uh, Blackadder, you know, all of those comedians that sort of came out at that time. So like a lot of my childhood and it was a, my dad really loves comedy, like just absolutely adores it. Um, and so a lot of my childhood was spent sort of 
sneaking out of bed after bedtime to go and hide behind the living room door to watch telly through the crack in it whilst you know thinking at the time my parents had no idea that I was actually sat out there well, clearly they did um and like memorizing scripts from from comedy shows mm-hmm. and going I would love to be able to do that but there's no way on earth I could do that because I'm not funny and I'm not funny in person and uh, yeah and look at them every time you see them in interviews they're just as funny as they are when they're doing comedy so they must always be like that um, and we're not are we uh, no. well, some, some of us are and the ones of us who are are fucking nightmares <laughs> <laughs> yeah and it was like I'd, I wanted to act like I'd always thought acting would be a good thing that I could do and um, I went did performing arts and theatre studies A level and quit after the first year because I met drama students <laughs> Okay. I went, I went, right, that's it. I'm not doing that anymore. I feel like I need to come out now as someone that went yeah. to drama school. But that's okay. <laughs> I wanted to go to drama. Like, it was the thing that I'd always wanted to do since I was a kid. Like, I wanted to go to drama school. I wanted to act. I wanted to do all of those things. And it was just, I think it was, and do you know, honestly, it was a bad experience with, with the performing arts students that it was, that they just formed into a clique that they really clearly, obviously didn't want me to be a part of. And... Also, I was I was 17 and I was horrible. So, you know, why wouldn't they? I wouldn't have wanted to hang out with me either. Um, and so I kind of went off to university to, to study film and TV because I wanted to be a director instead and write. Um, and it was only because I'd ended up back in Chorley in, in Lancashire afterwards and going, well, there's no chance for me to sort of make it into TV or film from here that I was trying to figure out something else I could do. I played in bands and stuff like that. And one of my friends said that um, a local sort of club uh, rock cabaret night was looking for a, for a host. And they went, you're really funny, you should do that. And I went, all oh, right, okay, yeah, cool. Yeah, right, I'll give that a go. And that was kind of how I got into it. That was how I started it. And the second that I got the first laugh from the first joke that I'd written, which was the only laugh I got in the entire evening, <laughs> I just went, oh, I can do this. Oh yeah, I can do this. And it was like, suddenly it was like, oh, this is validation. This is a room full of people validating me. Mm-hmm. This is the people that I'd wanted to impress when I was a teenager at school who all hated me. And they're, they're laughing at what I'm doing. I can do this. I can get mm-hmm. better at this. And so that's kind of how I ended up doing stand-up. Um, and I got really, really good at it <laughs> eventually. Mm-hmm. You know, it's that thing. I think so many of us just like, especially when, we, when we're doing this, like, and especially like if, especially when you're taught, like you don't, don't admit that you're good at things that's 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 arrogant that's too much confidence yeah. but it's like no i'm fucking good at what i do i know that because i can go into any room in the country um in front of any audience and have any promoter who's gone oh I'm really worried about you in front of my audience and come off stage 20 minutes later with everybody that they thought would absolutely detest me coming up to me and shaking my hand and well i remember being really inspired by you when i first saw you because i thought you were so i remember my girlfriend faye and i my ex-girlfriend faye who's one of my really best friends now yeah um, obviously came to, obviously <laughs> we saw you at a gig when i had like done a couple of open spots and nothing yeah. more and you were so unapologetically yourself and so funny that I just remember feeling totally inspired by it. Thank you. I remember this is because this has happened quite a lot that people come up to me after gigs, especially what I really love doing is going to the small towns and going mm-hmm. to the little villages and the other places. I mean, it's great going and performing at like the comedy store in London or, you know, the comedia in Brighton and being able to like go out there and just go, yeah, and you're all going to get me and this is going to be great, you know. But it is so much more fun when you go to a little tiny village in the middle of nowhere where you go and shake hands afterwards with guys whose hands are so big and round that you can't actually even grab hold of them properly. And having people come up to you going, oh my God, 
thank you so much. People who didn't realise, people who've like been queer and, and, and in a little tiny village for whom you coming into town and doing this and seeing all of these people who they were possibly afraid mm-hmm. of repercussions from, being able to laugh and being able to connect with what I'm saying. Me, this like middle-aged, fat, trans, lesbian talking about everything, like just yeah, just whatever it is that I've decided to talk about, about about my emotions, about my shortcomings, about sex. Seeing that in that way, you know, that's the thing. It's 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 an honour. It feels like quite a lot, you know. And it's happened quite a lot of times that people have come up to me and gone, oh my God, thank you. We don't get people like you around here. And you go, you probably do. You just haven't met them. Or you have yeah. met them and you just don't know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And I much prefer that to the, to the people who come up to me and go, you just carry on being you. Don't you care what anyone else says? And you go, yeah, yeah, I clearly don't. <laughs> yeah, and until you said that, I didn't. And now yeah. you're making me question myself. Because yeah. you did a show um, at the Fringe called Beth Becomes Her. Yeah. And, and was that sort of solely about sort of stamping your foot on a stage and going, this is who I am? Yeah, it was. Yeah, it was, it was the story of my... Yeah, it was my coming out story and my transition story and... If I'd have done it about five years later, that would have been enough to make sure that it had gone and made my career and put me on every single TV show and stuff like that because it wasn't it wasn't trendy enough yet <laughs> to be right. able to talk about that. Um, so at the time, it was like, this is interesting, but people didn't really have enough of an idea or even an opinion on, mm. on trans people enough to go, oh, well, this is something I'll go and see. But that show, I got some fantastic reviews from that and some fantastic feedback and... Oh, you know, on those days when you just sort of sat there and you're going, oh, I never achieved anything. And then and then you actually think back on the things that you achieved. And I'm like, yeah, do you know what? I've achieved almost all of my childhood ambitions that I ever wanted to do. You know, I've, I've played Glastonbury, I've been in Doctor Who, I've done, you know, all of these, all of these fucking things. <laughs> it's just like, yeah, I've done, I've, I've achieved everything I could ever have wanted from stand-up, really. But I still think the most important thing that ever happened was after that, was during that show. Um, I got a message on MySpace, because that dates exactly how long ago the show was, from somebody who said that they, them and their partner had bought tickets last minute because it was just, they were just looking for something that was just about to start and my show was on, they didn't know anything about it and they were thinking of leaving about 10 minutes in and they decided not to and they stuck around to the end and they were really, really glad that they had done because their... Uh, daughter had come out to them as trans about five years earlier and they'd become estranged as a result of that and it was only through watching the show that it had kind of forced them to reflect on everything and that they'd reconnected and so none of the rest of the stuff matters (laughs) nothing else I I will ever do matters as much as that (laughs) yeah that's made me well up um yeah that's uh that's yeah it did for me. I'd like. I. I don't think I stopped crying for about two days after I got that message. Yeah. Every time I thought about it. Yeah, I can imagine. That's. Yeah, that really gets you, doesn't it? Yeah, and it, and it's the thing that comes up time and time again on this podcast. But I think like being visible and yeah. just being there can can just mean so much yeah. to people. Just it to does. know that you, to know you exist. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely, and that's what I've always tried to do. And it's like I was chatting with my mum a couple of weeks ago because um, she just doesn't understand what agoraphobia is at all. Okay. 
for the entirety of this lockdown, whenever she sees any photographs that my partner's posted from her going for a walk down by the canal, she's always like, oh, why doesn't Beth go with you? Oh, go on, Beth, why, why don't you go out? Oh, do you know what I mean? Like when I'm saying oh, I'm really struggling with my mental health at the moment and, you know, especially with the agoraphobia. Oh, going out for a walk, that'd help that. Like, honestly, mum, no, it fucking wouldn't. Will you stop doing this? And I ended up having to have a chat with her about it. And she's like... She said, because my mum's fantastic. We're, we're, we're best friends, and as sad as that sounds, but we do. We talk no, to each I, other no, every day. No, I love that. I love that. Yeah. And we talk to each other every day, and we get on really, really well. Um, and we always have done. But there, was a, there was a small period of time when I was a teenager when I was just fucking unbearable. But other than that, we've always got on really, really well. And, like, she was really upset by this, and really upset when I sort of, like, I had to explain. She's like, well, why is it like this? And I was like, well, she said, because you always seemed like you're so confident and you can go out there and you can put yourself on stage and you can go off and fight all of these battles. Why is it that you struggle with this so much? And why is it? And I was like, it's because of that. It is because mm-hmm. of that. It's like, I'm 42 now. And I've spent the last 22 years fighting this battle. <laughs> um, and most of the time I felt like I'm doing it on my own. And it's really, really fucking difficult. And it wears you down and it's, you know, and like being out there and being in public and, and like until you've been the subject of pylons through social media, when social media is a huge part of your job, you don't always get, you don't always understand what it's like to have 200 people tweeting at you every for an entire 24 hour period. All of them saying the things that you, the inside of your brain tries to tell you. Yeah. Um I, on one occasion, I had somebody go and send me a photograph of my front door of my house oh. in the middle of having, like, 300 other people all telling me that I should kill myself and, you know, all of this other stuff that's going on. You know, got all of this stuff that's 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 there and it just... It wears you down. Mm. And one of the greatest moments the last couple of years for me was about a year ago when somebody on Twitter told me off because the language that I'd used wasn't trans-inclusive enough. It was almost like that relief, again, of coming out. It was like... It was like a little white cis boy who had uh, got pissed off with me for something that I'd said and had told me that. And a bunch of people were like, don't you know who you're talking to? <laughs> and I was like, hey, no, 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 none of that, none of that, none of that. Because, honestly, thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you, because I have been fighting this battle for so long and it's felt like I've been doing it on my own. And this is a signal that there are other people picking up that slack so I don't yeah. have to. You can um, pass that bat on. Yeah, so I'm sort of... I'm now... Where I feel like I've come to now is that I don't engage in any of the fights that I don't have to. Mm-hmm. I try and engage in the ones that I do and in the ones that aren't going to make me feel awful. So I try to be supportive, be positive in my representation of trans people and not go and share any of the negative things that people say. Mm-hmm. Um, and I try and fight for LGB rights in the ways that I can because that doesn't affect negatively affect my mental health as much and I try and fight more for, race, uh, for social justice and racial equality. Those are the things that I feel like I can do and those are the things where I feel like I can go and pick up the, the slack and try and save other people who are in the midst of that, who are having to deal with attacks on all sides every day from other people, mm-hmm. that I can go and step in and go, actually, do you know what? Your attacks for me on this don't don't affect me negatively in any way. Because <laughs> um, I think that's kind of the way to do it, you know, to like raise up voices that need it but step and step out of the way when you absolutely need to, but also to be there and be ready to fight whenever you, whenever you can, whenever you have the energy and the ability to. I, mm. Yeah, I 
it's it's behind sort of everything that I do I think and I think it's a really important conversation that needs to happen as well like within our own community about allyship for each other yeah so you know allyship for for some you know for gay and lesbians you know allyship for our trans community non-binary folk also for people of color and trans people of color yeah then obviously just social injustice in general yeah and also for also for bi people as well bisexual bisexual people within our group they often get erased so much and get ignored and people going oh yeah well you know they always pick a side eventually it's like well no perhaps they're just in a monogamous relationship (laughs) you know what i mean (laughs) <laughs> yeah, totally. Happened. Thanks for saying that because it's important that that's not forgotten. That's I think, really yeah, important. it is. It really, really is because when it comes to it, often like by people get treated as if they're like the enemy within within the mm. LGBT community, and I like, and and yeah, and I find that horrific. And I've been guilty of it myself in the past of of of, of perpetuating some of that stuff, and I feel really rotten for it. And and you know, we'll honestly always try to do more to be better about it but yeah I, and, and that's the thing that I always think is really really important to, to make sure that we sort of get on top of now Beth I've got one more question for you I should call you Bethany because this is a work <laughs> thing because we're not backstage at the moment yeah, yeah, no, no, it's Bethany funny. I have yes. one more question for you yes. um, and it's a question I ask everyone and it's it's sort of a you can either think of like a version of yourself that you would like to give a bit of advice to and I'm sort of thinking about that person that went to get that copy of the daily mail because there was a story on the front of it that was about a trans person and even though it was negative just seeing their existence helped you if yeah. you could speak to them or if you'd rather think about someone that is maybe in a similar position to how you felt in the past or realizing something about themselves and, and wondering how to deal with it if you could give advice to that person what would you say my advice well my advice to, to that 13 year old me would be come out to your parents They'll be upset for a little bit, but they'll get over it really quickly. Just do it. Because <laughs> mm-hmm. so much of the rest of the horror that I then dealt with later on was because... It was all because I kind of felt like I had this shameful secret. And shame is the thing which which kills us so quickly. It's the thing mm-hmm. that drives so much of stuff that we do. And to the point that often we don't even realise that that's what it is. And sometimes can't even say... <laughs> Oh, it's shame. It's that. No, it just, it's something that makes me feel bad. Yeah, a bit deeper. Um, <laughs> yeah, so I think that would be the thing. I don't have any regrets about anything that, that I've been through in my life. You know, all of it has gone into making me who I am. And uh, I like who I am. <laughs> I'm fucking awesome. <laughs> like, really. I'm, I, yeah, I'm, I can agree. <laughs> I'll agree with that. I can agree with that. <laughs> and I say that laughing because it's like, you know, it feels, it, even me trying to say that feels ridiculous. But I, I, but I do like But it's going back to I that am. thing that we said before when we're like, yeah. oh, we don't know how to say we're good at something. Yeah. Whereas if, if we were American and we were on a podcast and you went, do you know what, I've got to a stage where I love me, I'd be like... Oh, yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. So, but it's such a British thing, isn't it, to be like, well, I, well, I suppose I'm fine. I mean, I'm, yeah. not, I've not murdered anyone, so I suppose I'm fine. <laughs> like, it's so... <laughs> yeah it's that it's like you know yeah i've worked really fucking hard on myself and i'm proud of the results yeah and you know what all of the things that have gone through that have gone into making me who i am and uh, but yeah the only thing that i could think of to sort of give any advice to me was i spent so much time afraid of what i was going to say and that go- cuts across so many things like cause i'm a recovery recovering addict and 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 stuff related to that and so much in that one of the big things that i learned in that uh, one of my favourite phrases that I learnt in recovery is um, you're only as sick as your secrets. 
almost everything that I've really, really struggled with and everything that's caused me massive mental and social anxiety has has been down to me not telling people things that I needed to tell them out of a fear of disappointing them. Mm -hmm. And it's never led anywhere good. (laughs) Never led anywhere good. Um, You know, I care a lot and that's a good thing, but I also need to be kind to myself a bit more. I think that's sort of the advice I would give myself. The only person that you ever terrify with the thoughts that are in your head is you. Yeah, yeah, that's a perfect way to end the podcast. Thank you so much, Beth. Thanks, Susie. That was the marvellous Bethany Black, who I am such a fan of. Check her out on Twitter, on Twitch, if that's something that you do. Um, as ever, thank you so much for listening. I love making this podcast. I love that you lot listen. It's constantly growing and I really appreciate it. If you want to get in touch with me, you always can. The email is hello at outwithsusieruffle.com. I'm also on Twitter, Instagram and Facebook if you'd like to get in touch. Uh, Please do share and rate the podcast. It really helps other people find it. I hope that you have a great week and I'll be releasing another rep next week. Take care. Bye bye. Bye.